0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of Season 3 of Behind the Desk with me, Mark Thomas. The podcast where I meet some of the leading figures in the insurance and insurtech space, bringing you insights into their views and opinions on the sector, their career journeys, as well as a deeper look into the actual person behind the desk. Today i bring you Episode 6 of Season 3 and another brilliant guest, in Paul Bropsall, who has recently left his role as CIO at Aon in the UK. Paul has a huge amount of technology leadership experience, having led technology functions for over 20 years now. He's spent the last nine years or so working for Aon in CIO positions in various areas of their business. Prior to that, he spent time at Alliances as well as a few others. It was really great to chat to Paul about his evolution into the CIO role and how he's seen the position and the insurance industry evolve in his time working in the sector over, over the last 20 years or so. Paul's now looking forward to his next role and uh, looking for a technology leadership position and had some great insights in how he sees the industry changing over the coming years, as well as the role of the CIO within that, uh, and a heap of advice for those budding CIOs listening to the podcast. So, without further delay, let's get behind the desk with Paul Rotsall. Paul, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Very well, very well. How are you? Yeah, I'm really good, thanks. Really good. Well, look, thank you very much, firstly, for making some time to uh, to have a chat to us. Could you tell uh, all the listeners who you are and uh, where you've been recently and, uh, and and what you're all about? Yeah, uh, so um, basically being in the insurance and uh, broking
1: world for, let's say, over 30, uh, 30 years. I won't go into too much detail of how many more than that. I predominantly, would class myself as both IT and the business side. I actually started out in underwriting. I'll talk a bit more about that later. But I've spent literally all of these years trying to work out how technology can support insurance broking, how it can drive um, growth operational efficiencies. More recently, I was working for Aon for nine years uh, in the broking space globally, where I was running more recently the platform strategy and direction for the organization, which was trying to bring consistency to a very you know, globally inconsistent market.
0: Great, great. So uh, I always like to to kind of go right back to the start, and and obviously we uh, we we won't go through a fine tooth comb, but um, but thirty years odd years ago, what how did you how did you first get into technology, or did you come from the business? Side? I know you mentioned obviously kind of business and technology. Did you start as a techie yourself, or like what what was the what were the beginnings? What did that look like?
1: No, I was I was dead against going into technology, and I started out on the accounting side of doing statement reconciliation, then into underwriting. And those of you who are listening in who will uh, remember the old technology Lotus One Two Three, which was uh, the, the IBM version, if you like, a Lotus version of, of Excel. Uh, I started b- uh, building spreadsheets to uh, enable better rating and quicker rating for the underwriters. Of course, they they then picked me up, uh, carried me to the IT department, and told me never to come back again because it was basically making them look uh, as if we can do everything via spreadsheet. So, I, I literally got accidentally into technology just because I was looking for more simpler and quicker ways of doing what I was doing at the time, which was underwriting.
0: So obviously, that's where you start. So, what was the what did the first few jobs look like? What 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 would they what did they entail and? Uh... And, and did it kind of ever evolve to you being a kind of a, a heavy techie or was it always with that very much that business lens?
1: My, my very first job was I started writing code on a SAS mainframe, which can only be described as infuriating. I mean, you could run a program for two or three days and then find out that in line one, you missed a semicolon. And the whole program was, was a waste of time. And realistically, I've, I've done so many different types of roles, which has really helped me through my career, whether it was from programming, tech support. I was a, an AS400 administrator, loader's as notes administrator, developer in Domino. And I think that, um, honestly, that my want to do things and want to change things and understand things just led me to doing more and more of those different types of areas. Some would say I probably wasn't very good at any of them, which is why they ended up pushing me up and into different roles all the time and eventually into management. But I've always loved the technology, but I've always much more loved how you relate that to what your organisation does. So I've always spent a lot of time understanding what the organisation and what companies I've worked for operate in and how they do things. I truly believe there is a balance. You need to have both of those. Otherwise, you end up using technology for technology's sake.
0: Yeah, yeah, totally agree. And and I mean, so... The, the the evolution then from those types of roles into the, the the first kind of leadership role what what did that look like what was it, who was the person the, the the firm that gave you the the first kind of opportunity and what and what was the position
1: I was working for a company called St Paul's which is now part of the Travelers Group and when I joined there I think we had something like thirty five people and one office up in in eighty Street in London. And part of my job was to really to support their growth on the technology side. And as we grew, my role grew more and more into going out to various different countries and looking at how we set up from offices through to training the people. And ultimately, with that, grew more responsibility, more management, more ownership. I think the real time I sort of became what I would class as a true leader, though, was I was asked to move to Sydney, Australia. So I moved out there for three years to help build out their Asia-Pac uh, arena. And one of the things that that sort of teaches you is remember all the people that you sort of rely on and the people around you are basically the other side of the world and the other side of time zones. So a lot of it suddenly becomes your decision-making. You you have to be the person that has to answer the problems and challenges rather than looking around you for other help with things. I think... That that was a really big eye-opener for me, but also quite tough to sort of be thrown into the deep end of, you know, you're now in charge of these sort of things from a technology point of view. At the end of the day, you know, it's it's one of those things that you sort of have to stand up and, and just, just get on with it. And uh, very, very lucky to be in that position and working for a company that was really good around looking at how they can improve the people and the skills in the team.
0: So that you I mean, how, how long did you spend at Travelers out in the in the in Australia, and then and did that did that kind of quickly evolve into to kind of because I know you've been working in kind of head of technology CIO type roles for for, for quite a while. Um, did, did you reach did you reach that kind of CIO level there, or did you have to move on in order to get to that point?
1: So I was out there for uh, just short three years, net I think, and uh, the reason I returned was because Travelers were buying St. Paul's and they were changing the geographical footprint of where they wanted to be. And one of those wasn't wasn't out in AIPAC. I had the title of CIO. I wouldn't have said I was a CIO at that point, And I think that one of the things I'm probably a little bit um, direct about is I think there's a lot of people, a lot of roles that call themselves CIOs out there. CIO really isn't just running IT, which is what I was doing. Um, I think CIO, when I left there and joined Allianz and became the chief technology officer to really focus more on services, infrastructure, all those sort of areas. I think a lot of that was where I really started becoming a sort of C-level tech executive. And I really differentiate those being around defining the strategy direction and why and how that links to the business. I think far too many people believe that the C and the CIO level really is around just, just maintaining technology and maintaining and really just following trends. It really isn't. It's how do you link that to the business areas so when you're sitting in those senior management meetings, you're not talking around technology only. You're talking about how it relates to what is important to the business and the strategy of the business. So, no, I, I had the title back then, but I would say really, uh, I think I think the C-level sort of model was when I joined Allianz.
0: Yeah, and you spent you spent quite a long time at uh, Alliance, if I, if uh, if I remember rightly from the the, the research over before, was it kind of five or six years or so? And it was was that a kind of uh... Uh, a, a kind of quick evolution up into to kind of big, obviously big organisation. I think if I remember from previous conversations we've had, you spent some time in Germany as well. What what did what did that look like, and and, and what kind of was was that kind of then taking you on that 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 kind of journey to being what you classed as in, in that definition you just said as a kind of fully fledged CIO at that point.
1: Yeah, I, I mean I was so yeah I was there for for eight years, and as you can imagine, Allianz is quite a different culture to. St. Paul's, which was um, a US company. I think the real sort of eye-opening side was, you know, I joined Alliance with a view to merging the aviation and marine business, which were really business areas in their own right, not necessarily um, working the same way, operating the same way, but really joining them and working out how do we bring those organizations together? And how do we bring the technology to support both those organisations? A little bit further on, we then brought in the, the um, property side of the business, so bringing that together. And then a little bit further down, I moved out to Chicago for three years where we looked at bringing some of the business from another one of the um, Allianz Group companies into the organisation was working for, which brought its own challenges. You know? Unfortunately, the big business we were bringing, which was the Marine out of a company called Fund, was the most profitable book so as you can imagine I was I was absolutely welcome with open arms uh, turning up and telling we're moving business around the place but I think what was really key to to all of that was the people I was dealing with way more were the business rather than technology no no I don't love talking to the technology guys uh, before before I start getting messages in I do but ultimately I would say that 70% of my time was being spent working with the business tools of the business around. How do we support what they're trying to do, and how do we support where they're going, rather than you know a sort of technology-driven by technology type model of talking around cloud and APIs and everything else that's been talked about today.
0: Do do you want on that? Do you think that's? Um, because I, I think it's an interesting point, and obviously in, in the line of work that I'm in, I, I speak to all different flavors of CIOs, CTOs, and, and and various other kind of names for the same types of position. Do do you think that is a a problem in the industry sector uh, in the insurance sector um, with regards to people being too aligned to technology and not aligned enough to to the business? Is that something you've seen in the industry that is is a problem or or, or not? Uh, hugely, I think it's one of the biggest.
1: Um, challenges we have within um, technologies in the financial services sector we've got far too many technology people sitting in the room talking to technology people and I don't necessarily think it's any one individuals fault or any any people but one of the things I put in when I was at Allianz was was when we brought people on board the first year the only training they could get was in the business areas in fact a couple of the the, the guys that worked for me went on to get CII exams and the insurance issue exams so they understood when we were talking to our business colleagues around what are we actually talking about, what are they actually talking about? Because insurance is not much different to IT. We all have our own acronyms and anagrams for everything else, I think. And they do the same. So I really do feel that to get on and and to really make a difference, the more you can understand the business you work for, honestly, I I truly believe that the, the more successful you'll be.
0: Yeah, it's it's an interesting point, isn't it? Because it's it comes back to that whole kind of um, premise of of taking uh, people joining the industry from outside, and there being kind of a, a lot of barriers to that, even even now, but but certainly historically uh, around people being able to enter the sector without industry experience. So. Do you do you think that's that's important, or or do you think it's it's just a case of having the willingness in, in in when you're moving up into more senior roles to be able to one talk to the business and and making the effort to understand how the business works?
1: I don't think it's necessarily about joining. I mean, when I was at, at Aon, um I was predominantly on the the risk side, the commercial risk side, and risk business reinsurance. Before I left, I, I was getting more heavily involved in the health and wealth sort of side, which. Typically, i would never really had too much exposure to. What I've done was actually work, sat, sat down with some of the guys in the business areas, actually understood what do they do. When we talk about the retirement business, when we talk about the investment business, what are we doing? So I don't think it's necessarily you have to have that knowledge beforehand. But I think that anyone who joins an organisation, I think should really understand what their, their primary focus is, what their primary direction is, and ultimately what makes the money. I think that, that's key. I really do.
0: Yeah, I, I totally agree. And and you I mean, why do you think that problem exists? Is is it just because people lean into technology because that's where they're most comfortable? Or it's what they enjoy doing most. Or you I mean you've obviously seen some examples of this? So what like, what what? Why do you think why do you think that that the problem is is there? Like what what's the kind of the core root of that problem?
1: I think it's it's probably twofold. I think number one is you know staying what's comfortable. I think that's a human nature thing. It's a lot easier to sort of stay around the stuff you know and technology. I think also, which which is improving dramatically, but was always the view of the IT guys, you know, the amount of times that uh, I went through office moves and the first conversation was we're going to put the IT guys in the basement. You know, generally it was like, it was always that sort of feeling of don't bother giving them windows and we give them a Coke machine and they'll be happy sort of type of mentality. And realistically, nowadays, I think people are taking technology way more seriously. I think they're taking technology people way more seriously. I remember back in Allianz, I was, I was uh, working with the team and you know, trying to push, which, which probably don't need to do anymore, but trying to push them to wear suits and ties and things, just so when they're in front of the business guys, at, at least they're feeling that they're talking to someone that actually work and operate the same way. Now the business are beginning to turn up in chinos and, and shirts and stuff, so you know, now we're going the other way. But at, at the time, it, it was anything we could do to really make us feel that we were part of that conversation and being at, at that sort of level. I, th- I think things are evolving. I think things are getting better. But I would always reach out to anybody that, that is in technology in a company, and and really just just go and find out how they work, what they do. You, you'll be you'll be amazed how receptive our generally our business colleagues are to, to help tell people what they do. They, they like what they do generally, and so I would take that as a real piece of guidance. Would be to go and literally go and speak to them. What is it you do? How do you work? And, and I i you you'll you'll be surprised you'll be surprised what you think these guys do compared to what they actually do and and that can only help us do our job better you really can
0: yeah i think that's really good advice you I mean uh, uh, funnily enough actually in, uh, in in my line of work it's a, it's a piece of advice i've given quite a lot to, to more junior colleagues is uh when you're speaking to people people generally love to talk about what they do especially if they if they enjoy what they do so so therefore they're, they're normally quite happy to 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 give you five or ten minutes to talk about that. So so moving that on then to obviously more recently you touched upon it a, a little bit then um, spe- spent a, a decent stint at Aon recent recently left. So so tell us a little bit about what the what your role you were doing there and what that looked like and uh, and, and where you're at now.
1: So uh, you know when I started out at Aon I started out running a which those of you who have ever worked in in Europe it's at some kind quite challenging and and that includes the guys from the UK. Really, AILs have grown through various different ways, one of which has been through M&A. Bought an awful lot of companies and bought an awful lot of smaller brokers. And generally, they will come with varying different types of old technology or smaller technology, things that were more local to the markets. And so uh, spent a lot of time putting in um, sort of standardized services across from here, uh, which I was them for the sort of first half I was there. I was there nine years. And the second half was much more on the global side, taking what I'd learned from what we'd put into EMEA around some of it outsourced, some of it insourcing, looking at where we can then, how do we manage both legacy as well as the future state direction of of technologies. It's very difficult. Insurance um, is is a very, uh, in many ways, a very uh, lazy industry from a perspective of, we tend to to add on to everything um, from a technology and from a systems point of view rather than actually go back and and amend things. And so you end up with an awful lot of legacy technology that um, are in different formats, different topologies, taxonomy and everything else. So the second half of working out very much was around looking at global platforms. How do we create a global platform? How do we create, create global consistency while being very aware that every country, every product within those countries Um, does have its own variances and nuances. So spent a lot of time uh, more recently looking at deploying and platforms, which really brought uh, consistency so we could consistent processing, management and processing, while allowing the local front office teams to capture information that they needed to make sure that they were complying with with local regulations as well as local market conditions. And centralizing uh, capabilities and using technologies like um, AWS, like Snowflake, like Alteryx, to provide data in a consistent manner, not just internally, but also to the clients. And so, you know, that was really, um, truly exciting around what we were trying to do. And, and, you know, I would say probably revolutionary for the insurance industry. The, the banking guys listening in would probably just cringe and tell us, well, you know, we're 10, 20 years ahead of you on doing that. And so, yeah, so that's where we were. But now I've, re- I've recently left ALP back at NMAJ and so now, you know, just taking, uh, taking the summer off, which has been fantastic. And uh, now looking at my windows and seeing the rain come down, now looking at uh, maybe doing something different uh, going forward. But I'll always probably gravitate back to technology insurance. It certainly is uh, something I really enjoy. I really do. And it's, uh, it's, it's not quite the perception my wife and, and daughters have got around insurance being boring. It's, uh, it, it's pretty, pretty interesting stuff.
0: Yeah, it's it's uh, it's an interesting topic. Is that I was um, funnily enough, I was watching one of the um, I remember the guy's name now. He Does the uh, the money advice show on ITV? It was on. My wife was watching it last night, and they had, and they they were really hammering this guy from the the British, I think it's British Institute of Insurers, about car insurance and um, prices and increases and all that kind of stuff that's going on at the moment. And uh, in fairness to the guy, he gave some really really good answers, but the the, the guy really didn't want to didn't really want to. Um, didn't want to listen to him really, just wanted to kind of hammer him. And 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 it, it actually made me think like that the industry gets uh gets such a bad rep. And and I've spoken about it so many times to people on this podcast, because a fairly common reason for why people you know, like the sector is is because of the good it does. But it it really does have this kind of bad reputation. And the more I've worked in it, the more I've kind of become like i've been aware of the fact that it does have such a bad reputation what what, what while we're on that what, what what's your view on that Look, you spent 30 years in the sector what 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 do you what do you think the problem is around that and 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 and, and have you got any thoughts around how how it gets uh solved yeah
1: you're actually right. I mean, the reputation. I think there's this, There's always the belief that insurance companies are there to try and avoid paying claims. That's really not the case. I mean, yes, of course, there are the odd insurers out there. Let's let's be honest. You know, in any industry, there's a few rogue characters. But it isn't trying to avoid paying claims. It's it's the the key problem and the key challenge certainly around the you know direct to consumer space. Unfortunately, is fraud um it's growing at a, an exponential rate you know faster and faster so you talk about car insurance the amount of continual claims and, and the growth of the size of claims unfortunately are continuing to grow those costs are generally having to be moved on what i would say is and, and not this probably won't hear this for many people but i think the regulator actually does a, a very good job in making sure that uh insurance organizations are Generating billions and millions of dollars of profit when you know really not paying out claims in those sort of areas. So, I think they do have a bit of a, a, a negative reputation. But you know, bluntly, you know, the only time you really ever want to deal with a re- is it with an insurance or organisation is when you've got a claim, which is never a, a nice time for anything, and never a, a positive experience when when something's happened. So, you know, unfortunately. You know, we've got to take it on the shoulders and, and basically accept the fact that, we, that I don't think anyone's ever going to basically tell us the insurance industry is a wonderful place, the wonderful area we want to be in. But unfortunately, I, I do think that the way that it, it is structured now with the regulators being, you know, very much more understanding, I think they were going, going back in history. I, I think it is what it is. Um, and as I say, you know, I'm from 30 years in insurance. I still don't know how to pay my car insurance. But uh, you, you have to do it, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, I get it. And uh, certainly mine increased quite quite substantially. And <laughs> it is a bit frustrating. So I do get that. While we're kind of on that around the kind of challenges the insurance um, uh, and the kind of insurtech, wider insurtech sector have, what, what, what's your view on the kind of the big kind of hairy challenges the industry have now? I guess you've had some time to... To take take a break from from and be at, be outside of it after a long time looking at it from the inside what 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 your what's your view on the on, on kind of where the sector's going challenges it's facing how it overcomes them et cetera
1: yeah I think one of the biggest challenges the industry's got is is the past. you know I mentioned before we haven't really put um, as much effort into looking at the quality of our information quality of our data that we really have to now. I've always sort of looked at the way that we do data analytics across insurance. It always has that sort of more of a feel of it's directionally correct rather than absolutely accurate. From the further you go back, the less accurate the data has necessarily been um, through our industry. So I think one of the challenges is we have such an opportunity in, in the insurance and broking space to improve and change the way we operate look at a much more on demand type insurance much more reactive to weather events and, and catastrophes and what's going on but we're sort of held back by our sort of past and i think one of the real challenges and what real questions i think all the insurance organizations is how, how do you, how do you chat as you tie together the legacy in the future direction and bring those together and what strategy are you put in place to do that? And, and that's always easy and quick to say, but difficult to put into action, especially when you can't put together five-year strategies anymore. I think, I think you're, you're looking at what are you doing in one year? What are we doing in two years? What are we doing in three? And I think trying to look at that direction and being ready for whatever comes from a business and whatever direction is coming towards us, we need to be ready for it. You need, you need to be in the situation where, okay, you know, yes, we can move everything to cloud. Yes, we can talk about AI. Yes, we can you know, look at blockchain solutions, all of those. But our ability to evolve at speed has not been one of our strengths in our industry. I, I give a, a very quick true story was uh, when I was back at Allianz, someone brought in a copy of the original slip of the Titanic. And the slip is the, the insurance document that goes around Lloyd's. And so this was 1912 and uh, it was 2012 when I saw it. So 100 years and the, the only thing that had changed was that the slips today are now typed. So if it gives you an idea of how quickly we evolve as an industry, in 100 years we managed to type up a slip rather than using handwriting. So I I think I think technology isn't just around looking for the next big win out there. I think it is getting yourself ready to React to where, however, the business wants to go and however the business wants to operate, and, and just simple things like uh, mergers, acquisitions, and all those, and being ready to bring those on board at pace, at speed, and be ready for as the tomorrow's challenge.
0: Yeah, I mean, that, that's it's interesting that. and uh, you mean, so, so, from your perspective. What are the bit things that you see really changing from a from a I guess a technology and but and I guess and from a business process perspective over the next next few years? What what do you see that see is the, the things that, that will really change and evolve?
1: That's a tough one. It's a tough one because if you probably asked me ten years ago, I'd probably had the same conversation and probably said the same things. I think the evolution really is the customer base of changing you know the customer base if if you look at you know my my expectations for insurance versus i've got you know three daughters you know ranging from 19 to 25. i, I mean this thing thoughts about insurance that it really should be something that's a service available on their phones that they should be able to just basically turn on and off whenever they want to i think so from a consumer market i think you're gonna drive much much more of that i think Automotive is going to go through a massive change. I could spend an awful lot of time talking to you around how the traditional insurance models uh, can't work with automated cars because basically I'm not driving it. If somebody else is driving and it shifts who's accountable uh, for those sort of errors. I think for the bigger corporates, what you're seeing is the lower end of the, the sort of business sector now are getting into the world where they're beginning to use online insurance where typically they're either using brokers or insurers now i think that that low end of the model which is that sort of low technology end, is increasing by the day and i think that's creeping upwards so i don't think there's going to be huge change in really the big corporates of the world for, for some time to come what i will say is that sort of sme type small to medium enterprise sort of model i think you're going to see they're going to be looking much more online than necessarily going out to individuals to get their assurances going forward and i think we need to to learn from on the corporate space a little bit from the retail space but we also need to learn what didn't work well and i I think that's where i see this this
0: heading at the moment do you think that has a knock-on effect to to kind of obviously you haven't come from a broker I, I, i mean I haven't actually spoken to many people on this podcast from brokers. Most of them have have been from carriers, typically. What what's the the kind of broker view on 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 all that kind of thing? It's very similar to what I've just
1: said. I mean, there'll always be a place for brokers. There'll always be a place for insurers, uh, and there'll always be a place for uh, you know other types of of capital. I think as you look around the world and some of the challenges that are going on right now. Insurance is becoming more and more important in areas where we're not really providing cover correctly today. So the broker's role will always be to look at how do we make sure we cover all those different areas for for a risk perspective. They will also look at you know, how do we get the best deals and the best things that are tailored to the client specifically, which is why brokers exist to look at across different insurers and carriers and across different products. But at the same time, they're very aware that, that that bottom end of the market is becoming more and more a sort of an online battle, an online challenge. But they're up for it. I mean, they 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 understand it and they know where they want to go. They don't, no one really wants to particularly get into a price war on sort of the SME side. But it's not quite the same as sort of commoditized sort of car insurers. You're looking at you know individual companies and what sort of services they need. It's just that those services should be much more readily available than they have been up till now. So I I don't think that anyone's particularly concerned or worried or feels that that it's going to impact this in in any way. I think the real thing is back to to having technology guys to be ready to talk to the business around what's able to be done and what can be achieved using technology and sometimes what, what can't be.
0: I definitely agree with you with regards to the. Uh, that I'm uh, I'm not quite as young as your uh, as your kids. I'm uh, I'm 38. Yeah. I I totally get it in with regards to kind of. The, the technology aspect of of personal lines insurance ne- needs to improve because the, the 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 one size fits certainly when I'm going to buy house insurance and stuff like that the kind of trying to get a policy to fit around what you've got rather than the other way it, it, it just seems to seems to not really make much sense anymore like there has to be a way of of kind of bespoke that through technology in a in a in a much more kind of cleaner fashion. Um, whether that kind of spans up into more commercial insurance, I, 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 I don't know how that necessarily works, but I'm sure there's people working on it. Um, on that tech front, and um, the, the, obviously there's a there's a kind of big push on insure tech at the moment, various levels of success in that space. What, 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 where do you think that the industry is at from a, a kind of a technology perspective? Is it is it still as far behind as is what is kind of the, certainly the perception, or do you think we've made some some good Inroads over over recent years. What what what's your kind of analysis of
1: that? Uh, monthly, I don't think we're doing a brilliant job at it. I don't. You know, if you if you go to some of the tech conferences, generally you walk in, you know, see the same old players that have been around for for many a year. And I think it's it, tech, to me, needs to look at at the challenges within the insurance sectors or the opportunities within the insurance sectors, I think a lot of what we see today is doing the same things in a different way or with a more modern cloud platform or using more different low code and other things. And I think that if you think about insurtech and fintech and you think about that, you're thinking innovation, you're thinking something to going to change the way we operate, the way we do things. And i don't see that i don't see i see pockets don't get me wrong and you know apologies some have come to it. i certainly see pockets certainly i see some areas out there that are looking at being more innovative and around how they should do things but as a general industry right now most of the conversations that, that i've sort of had throughout my career have been around different flavors of sort of policy systems or accounting systems or i think the latest one across insurance is now you know work benches I was building workbenches back in the early days of alliance and and so they've all been around what we're trying to do i think we need to look at how do we look at changing the way to start really embedding things like analytics and and potentially ai within the process within the way we are actually uh either underwriting or broking or placing risk and i think there is nowhere near enough of those things coming through right now, and I think part of that is to say, part of it's around the the organisations that are looking at insurance. Typically, the ones that have been around for a very long time. Nothing wrong with them; I mean, they've done a great job over the years. They've kept the insurance company, uh, the insurance industry, working well. But I, I think a few more innovative ideas, think think a little bit bigger. I think is probably the the, the thing I would say that they need to
0: do. Yeah, you I mean what cause it, because obviously if you look across other sectors and I'm certainly no expert but you, you you'd like to think that you mean certainly just to the naked eye and and the untrained eye that, that there seems to be lots of uh advances in other sectors that are completely outside of the box to what they 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 were previously from from kind of retail to the way we, we we buy most things, whether it be in a kind of physical shop, like I was in an Amazon shop the other day. You don't even have to you have to go to a checkout; you just kind of pick up your stuff and walk out. I like, mean, it's it's evolved quite quite substantially into to what traditionally it was twenty years ago. The insurance sector doesn't really seem to have necessarily done that because of the reasons you've just said. Do, do you think there's too high a barrier to entry for for to or, or people with new thinking to to get into that because of all these old players that have all been kind of got the market wrapped up it's quite big projects to kind of change this stuff or or, or do you think there's just not an appetite to to, to do it that the right people just aren't thinking about it
1: i do think there's a little bit of a barrier entry i think and i'm gonna be a little bit harsh but i think in the insurance industry we we hang around the same old companies whether they're sort of um cause companies or insurance providers around the place a little bit and i think you know, and, and I'll, I'll put my hand up a little bit to that as well. What I would say, though, is, it, and it sort of circles back to what we were talking about earlier. I sort of have this sort of saying that, that, you know, I decided the West Coast of America is a bit like a whole load of solutions looking for a problem. And I, and I think there's a lot of technologies coming which are great on paper, but without really understanding the complexity of insurance business, and insurance is complex. It is complex. Without really understanding that, all of these solutions look good and they feel good and they're all they're all marvelous. But to put them into practice, and to put them in practice into organisations that have a very heavy legacy world around them, um, have technologies which it needs to connect to. Which I, I love these conversations. We'll just you know create APIs. You know putting APIs in for a thirty-year-old mainframe system that really you know it just it just doesn't work that way. It's not quite as simple as what people's mentality is. And so I think that better understanding of the problems with the direction and so all those sort of areas. So these tech companies, they really need to bring some real insurance professionals into their organization to challenge them on it before they turn up. And, and that's again, I've had, I've had multiple organizations I spoke to around great ideas, and there's nothing wrong with the idea per se, but it's the reality of how you would implement it really holds us back in so many ways.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. It's certainly a, a, a problem that's not not easy to solve, is it? Um, so I, I wanted to move on to, like, um, to talk a little bit about kind of advice and that kind of thing. As, as I mentioned to you uh, before we recorded, lot, lots of the people that listen to the, the podcast that are kind of aspiring CIOs, you, you've... Trodden that path for a while now you've obviously gone through the the, the journey of getting to that point and i obviously got some some views that we've already covered but what 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 are the big pieces of advice that you would uh, you would give people who are kind of aspiring to get to that point maybe sitting just below it or, or even just starting out um about what they should do and 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 was there any particular bits of advice that you've been given through your journey that 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 still kind of hold fast for you and stand uh, uh, were particularly pertinent for for your career
1: I think the first piece of advice I was given when I joined Aon was from from one of our uh, real senior uh, broken colleagues who said uh, for the first 6 months you're part of the solution and after that you're just another part of the problem which I I thought was an interesting piece of advice that I was given but but more seriously I've tended to to you know listen to a lot of people and I think I think listening's one of those big things okay you know we we tend to think we know the solution from a technology point of view we mentioned it earlier on technology and I'm going to be a little bit harsh Technology isn't always the answer. Okay. Sometimes, you know, some of the simplest things, um, big migrations are always one of the things. Everyone gravitates, well, we need to do some sort of technology migration. Actually, I've done some very, very successful migrations by just getting a bunch of people to rekey stuff. I mean, there, there's some areas. So, so one of the pieces of advice I would give was would always be make sure that you use the right technology for the right things. Okay? And then I don't try and use the technology; the stuff it's not built to do. Um, simple things like, you know, so again, some of the you people on 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 the listening here would, you know, remember things like Lotus Notes, Lotus Domino. I mean, the perception of what that was and what it was used for were two different things. And 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 ultimately, the key to that is to know when not to use it for certain things. And and so, I would always say, whatever technology you look at, make sure you use the right one. There's always this this battling in technology around, you know, do you limit the technologies and stick to those? I don't believe in that. I believe you should use the right technology. You just need to use less technology overall. You don't need to have a technology solution for absolutely everything. Um, and I think we're going down that path a little bit too much. And I think the other thing which I would always say to absolutely any manager across the board, whether it's dealing with technology, dealing with the business, dealing with the solutions. Always look for the simplest solution. It may not be the simplest thing you put in, but start simple. Start working through. If you think about methodologies like Lean, all it is is around simplifying things. How do you take things simpler? And I think we, in insurance especially, we like to confuse and complicate things. We like taking something simple and making it as complex as we can in many ways. Think about the simplest solution of things. And, you know, I, I always love one of my, my favorite things I ever heard was was with the, uh, when the U.S. designed the pen that works in space and at zero gravity and cost a million dollars. And the, the, the Russians were asked about it and they turned around and said, yeah, we just use pens. You know, that, that to me is, is the epitome of whether you use technology, a million dollars of technology, or you just use a pencil. So I, I will always say, keep it simple. And always remember, the simplest solutions are easier to explain. They're simpler to get people buying. Because unfortunately, at our level, um, and I'm talking sort of management levels throughout whatever level they are, a large part of our job is making sure that people understand what we're doing and buying into what we do. You know? that That is critical to continue, not just to drive change, but to continue to get our buying to do more of it. So... Keep it simple. Keep it easy. Um, we know it isn't always the case. It can be. But but just think through the simplest ideas at first. Okay.
0: Yeah, starting with simplicity is, uh, is a great piece of advice. I think someone actually gave me that advice uh, a, a, a while back. And, uh, yeah, I, I've always thought it... Uh, from an outsider, really, into the insurance space, it's it always kind of I've always been amazed at how complex some of the some of the really simple things are. Obviously, my line of work, recruitment, should be quite simple. Uh, it's made it's made very difficult by uh, by people uh, who, who want to overcomplicate it a lot of the time. But it's normally people that do that rather than uh, rather than kind of anything else, which is a bit frustrating. But uh, but look, totally get that. So we're coming towards the the kind of end of the of the podcast now. But the um, we'll, we'll finish with a. a bit of a quick fire round just for a bit of fun but uh, i always ask people the same couple of questions which uh you'll, you'll be aware of paul so the first question is um what is it you love about the uh, the i'm going to say the insurance space because we've already spoke about the insurance space we know they've got to do a bit more on that front but what is it you love about the insurance space i just
1: i love the fact that it's different every day i mean i've spent uh, you know i've mentioned on on this this conversation i've i've lived in the u.s a couple of times australia i've spent a lot of time in south america and africa I, I love the fact that it is a global business it is a global it's quite a phenomenon i think probably people might say something's different something different but i love it because it really is an industry there which is really trying to help people it is really trying to protect people from from challenges but at the same time you know it, it is something that the challenges me you know on a daily basis around both solutions problems and and really the world around us is as we all know is is changing we know that and i think the insurance is something that is a an absolute key to make sure that you know we protect as many of us around the world as we possibly can um while at the same time
0: means i can come and do a a job every day that is is never boring Interesting, is slightly off topic there, but you you obviously you've done lots of stuff globally. The, that perception that we spoke about before of the, of insurance is is that is that kind of fairly commonplace uh, on a, on a global scale? Or is it is it does it differ from from place to place on kind of the the the, the overall perception of what insurance is and and the negative connotations in the UK.
1: I don't, I don't, I don't really not really comment too much on on the negative concept, um, conversation. Certainly within, I would say Europe of definitely, US would say. What I would say, one thing that does vary is the level of importance people put on it around the world. I think varies, and I think the you know, understanding that insurance and coverage and all those things are there to protect, you know, both both individuals and organisations. I think, does vary depending on where you go around the world. And I think that 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 is something that, you know, evolves over time. But uh, as far as, you know, I'd be surprised if we find many countries that say they love their car insurance. But, uh, yeah, maybe maybe there'll be one or two of them out of somewhere.
0: Yeah, yeah, maybe. The next one is, uh, what is the best thing about being behind your desk right now?
1: Personally, right now, I mean, you know, I am mean, world was things I'm looking at what I want to do next, um, whether it's sort of more on the advisory consulting, going back into sort of big corporates looking at, you know, ideas, I'm um, looking at uh, solutions on my own around some of that innovation that I talked about, I'd, I'd be hypocritical if I just said that no one else is doing it and, and didn't look at it myself. So to me, it's, it's an exciting opportunity and exciting times. Um, so I, I, I think one of the things I will say, and we talked about it before in this call, is there is—I truly believe—massive opportunity out there. I really do. Massive opportunity to improve the insurance industry, improve the insurance uh, world, the, the, the way we provide cover. It's just working out that direction of where we go and, and what we're trying to do. So I'm, you know, I'm loving, uh, I'm loving the opportunity to sort of sit back and have a look around and, and try and figure things out. And, uh, yeah, so, so that's really what the world looks like for me at the moment.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's quite a unique opportunity. A lot of time, people, I speak to people about that kind of stuff all the time. You don't, they don't tend to get a, a, a chunk of time where they can actually take a bit of time out and actually, uh, Think about what you uh, you want to do next, and, and and look at it from an outside perspective. It's uh, yeah, it's definitely uh, quite a rare opportunity. So uh, I, I I think that's uh, that's really good. Right on to some quick fire questions. So what is the one piece of technology you couldn't live without?
1: By far, my robot mower cuts my grass when I'm sitting it working, and somebody's cutting my grass for me. Best thing in the entire world by by far.
0: That, that is a brilliant one to be honest that's so, so apt that you said that because I, I, I've got I moved house about three years ago and uh, uh, t- from a kind of inner city type house out to a village and I've got quite a big garden now and that I would split my lawn mowing and juices in in half 50% of the time when it's sunny and it's a n- kind of nice afternoon I really enjoy it but then the times where I haven't got time to do it and I ha- I'd have to do it I absolutely hate it so um yeah i might i might uh i might kind of tap you up for what that's like doing it while you're uh you're at work is would be a welcomed thing for my life definitely so which brand or company do you really admire and why it's probably a bit consensuous
1: one uh salesforce i would go with. Their products work it's as simple as that it's it's there are always sometimes there could be you know, challenging areas around you know how do how do we operate with them work with them those but at the end of the day their products and the certain the things that they produce and the technology works really well and and I think if you look at their technologies and actually use them properly not just you know as a, as a sort of sideshow and sort of thing like that if you do them properly I think they're a, they're absolutely a, a very very powerful organisation and, and branding behind it um, so yeah. A, some people might disagree, but, but you know, it does exactly what it says on the tin. I think he's uh, the older on sale ever, And, uh, and that's what it does. That's what I like.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: Um, favorite business related book. So my, my favorite book was actually given to me by the, uh, uh, head of reinsurance head of UK UK. It was, it's a book called, will it make the boat go faster? It's about the, uh, great British rowing team, uh, two years out from, from going to Sydney. that have never won. Uh, and it's, literally around they refuse to pretty much do anything other than what will make the boat go faster and and the rowing and uh it's a really it, it's built to be a sort of a bit of a motivational book but the story is brilliant the stories and and you know not going to to weddings and not going and things and the challenges it causes but it the focus and 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 I do think focus is is, is massive but the focus they put into of if it doesn't make a boat go faster we're not going to do it for for twelve months i think he's I, I love it. I love. I love that whole mentality, and, and it, you know, it's one of those things that it, they try to build that into you, you know normal lives. You know, and uh, it's a uh, it's interesting. It's interesting, but yeah, probably the probably the best book
0: yeah I've read it yeah I'm. funnily enough my, my old company prior to working at Eames uh, uh, did uh, a kind of a, a corporate day with the guy who uh, wrote it actually came and did a kind of an hour long speech about it actually yeah it was uh, and gave us all a copy it was uh, it was brilliant the, the, the bit that I always remember from that book is that they, they all decided they were supposed to carry the flag or something like that in the opening ceremony and they all decided that they wouldn't go because they kind of sp- spending half a day on their feet all day they were like actually that Obviously, won't probably make the boat go slower? In fact, and and so uh, yeah, it's uh, it's actually been uh, I've, I've passed that book on for quite a lot of people. So, um, uh, really, re- really good read. The guy I can't remember the guy who wrote it wrote it actually, but if the, if anyone ever gets an opportunity to see him kind of speak live, it's uh is is really good. So next one, favorite film or TV series? Uh, you can have one of e- one of each if if you want. That was a bit of a COVID question. I think a lot when I started this podcast, everyone was uh, everyone was watching Netflix. <laughs> I think, I think my favourite TV series is something I've been watching fairly recently, which
1: completely contradicts everything about technology, is a TV series called Alone, which is predominantly been right. in the US, they've just started, which the summary is they put 10 people in the middle of nowhere, northern Canada, and sort of just sort of the old circle, you're allowed to take 10 things which include things like sleeping bag and bow and arrow and things, zero technology, uh, and basically, you've got to survive as long as you can, and, and long, as long, longer than anyone else around you. And um, I, I've always had that sort of want to sort of just be, you know, away from the world, away from technology, away from everything else. This is serious stuff. I mean, you, you see what these guys go through, and uh, the, the the weight loss. But one of one of the things you really learn about is what your body needs. You know, you can you can eat all the all the single type of food in the world but your body craves other things and so I've, I've really got into it it's um it, it really just sort of shows the survival skills or the lack of survival skills in a lot of people to go on it and around how we do things so yeah these is something I would I would recommend it as a watch not probably necessarily just before you want to eat and have dinner
0: but otherwise it's, it's good it's good definitely I'll definitely check it out um, the, the next one is if you weren't a technology leader what would you have been?
1: oh probably an underwriter uh, as, as much as i'll be careful if underwriters watch this uh probably an underwriter that was sort of where i headed out to i'd love to be uh, a motor racing driver but uh, i don't think i'm that good but uh, i think uh, yeah underwriter is probably the uh, the one i'd end up with
0: yeah nice and then the last one is who is your number one role model or person you admire oh I'd, i i think I'd, I'd always sort of give her a
1: the same sort. I think. Unfortunately, recently she passed away as the Queen. I don't think people fully appreciate how many hours and 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 dedication over such a long period of time. And you know, if it's anything like you know, anyone like me, you know, when my wife says, "Oh, we've got to go out to a party this evening," and I'm tired, I'm like, ah, "Can we? You know, can we not go?" I mean, this this lady done this for her entire life, and then just got on with it and done things and. I think I think the respect for her to, to do that and and behave and, and, be, and be the person she was throughout that was uh, absolutely second for none. And so, you know, i would always have uh, the utmost respect and, and the times I get to the point where I think, you know, I'm, you know, I've had enough a little bit, you just think, well, the Queen never gave up once on that sort of thing. I'm absolutely unbelievable lady
0: yeah yeah i agree yeah it's a pretty faultless performance over kind of a some crazy amount of time really isn't it um well, look, that brings us to the end of the podcast. First of all, Paul, thank you so much for 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 taking some time to to have a chat to me and uh, and the guests. Um, look, obviously, there there will potentially be some people that want to reach out. I, I know most people are kind of on LinkedIn these days, and that that's kind of how people get in touch. See so if there, anybody is looking for an experienced CIO. I'm sure Paul would uh, be open to have a, having a conversation um, as well. But um, but yeah, you happy for people to reach out and 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 to, to to connect with you on LinkedIn? Is that is that cool?
1: Of course, yeah, absolutely, yeah, love to, love talking about this sort of stuff, and really appreciate the invite to, to come on and talk to you, mate.
0: Pleasure, no, really, really appreciate you coming as well. So, th- thanks again, Paul, and and there's plenty more to come in season three, more guests to come. So, like, subscribe, and uh, and and pass on to to your friends, and uh, if anyone wants to reach out to Paul, definitely do so, um, and we'll see you all again next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Behind the Desk with me, Mark Thomas. If you liked the episode, please subscribe, give us a five-star rating, like and a comment, and even better, please share with your friends and colleagues. If you have any suggestions for future guests or other areas you'd like me to explore, it would be great to hear them. Behind the Desk is powered by Eames Consulting, part of the Eames Group. You can find out more about us at eamesconsulting.com. Thanks again for listening, and I look forward to catching up with you again next time.